and the thoughts of all our hearts be pleasing to you. And so it goes on. 
We could spend all our time listing the boundaries that we encounter. And sadly, all too often establish or promote. Some of them have become huge, and they're not just divisions any longer, but oppositions. They become so ingrained that we carry them in our hearts, truly believing that we're right in the views we And yet, you know, we don't think that we often consider that for each of those boundaries we have, there is a human being. Boundaries and entrenched views are not, as I think we often kid ourselves, about issues or principles. They're about real people with names, with lives, with hope, with joys and sorrows, just like us. Every gay person who has had to withstand vilification and humiliation is someone's son, someone's daughter, someone's niece, nephew, grandchild, lover. Every terrorist or would-be terrorist has a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, a wife, a husband. It's sometimes easier, isn't it, to pretend that they don't. The anguish of the mother of Ariel Castro in Cleveland, shown on television news. This graphic statement, testament to that. It's easier for us to deal with an issue than a person. Mike Marsh, writing on the internet this week, points out that whether or not we admit it, the boundaries that we establish and reinforce are usually done in a way that favor us, make us feel okay. They reassure us that we're right and in control and chosen and desired and seen and recognized and approved. And he goes on to say that in order for me to be included, somebody must be excluded. Otherwise, winning and being included mean nothing. And he says the divisions in our lives in some way become self-perpetuating. So... do we deal with the boundaries and the differences that divide us? I guess at the most extreme point 
handle this by going to war. Another way, less extreme, is to write agreements or covenants or treaties and legislation to govern us and tell us how to get along with each other and how to behave in the midst of our differences. Is that what God's love looks like? Is that what Jesus is praying for as he prays to his Father immediately prior to being taken for his trial, persecution and death? I don't think so. Jesus doesn't pray for our tolerance, our rubbing along together, our getting along or just being nice to each other. He doesn't pray that we should eliminate our differences and become a sort of homogenous blob. He prays for our being one, as he and the Father are one, so that our oneness would be the revelation of God's presence to the world. And I think it's important that that oneness in this doesn't mean that we lose our identity. We're still individual and special and unique. Jesus is still Jesus, and the Father is still the Father. One commentator puts it like this, Jesus and the Father are one because they love and give themselves to each other. Oneness is a quality of life, God's life. And Jesus' prayer for oneness is ultimately that we would be and live like God. It's about love. Love, I believe, is the only thing that can ever overcome division. And again and again, Jesus tells us to love God, to love our neighbor, to love our enemy. And often I think you hear both John and myself in the blessing ask us, ask God to bless those that, who we find it difficult to love. To love our enemy. And perhaps the bit in our liturgy this morning in the absolution and the hardest of all to love yourself. Very hard. It's this love for 
God, for neighbor, for enemy and self, that reveals our oneness. In love there may be differences, but there's no division. So, what does God's love look like? Today is Mother's Day. And if we're fortunate to have had a loving and kind mother or grandmother or even mother-in-law, we would probably say that God's love is like a mother caring for her children. Or again, one of the most moving experiences that I have had was that the first funeral I took for a retired police officer. His casket was carried out of the church by uniformed officers to a secular song that I subsequently come to know firsthand is the very essence of police service. It's called he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Is this how God's life looks? Well, the past year has been for me, personally, a bit of a rocky road. And during the journey, I've experienced numerous examples of God's love shown in the kind actions, thoughts and prayers of others, revealed in the beauty of nature, demonstrated in the skill of medics, and felt in the closeness of God's presence. And we could go on. Each one of us, I'm sure, could have examples of what, for us, God's love looks like. And yet, God's love is so much greater than any of those experiences. Because God's love knows no boundaries. God loves male and female, and rich and poor, and gay and straight and Marley and Parker. God loves young and old. God loves Christian and Muslim, conservative and liberal, uneducated and educated. God loves young and old, orthodox and heretic. All are loved, completely and uniquely as each needs. And the truly incredible thing is that God doesn't even draw boundaries between Jesus and ourselves. The whole point of the gospel is that God loves us the same way that God loves Jesus. God loves our enemies the same as God. 
And Jesus told his disciples, told us, that we would have eternal life if we believe. God loves us so much that we're promised eternal life. And Jesus is praying to the Father. And we answer his prayer every time we choose how to love, who to love, and where to love. Not from out of our boundaries, but out of our oneness, our love. Particularly out of our love for those represented by 